Well, if you guys do have Bibles and you would like to follow along, we're going to be in Philippians 2. Uh, and if you've noticed, we, we started in Genesis, worked our way through the prophets into the gospel accounts themselves from uh, the entrance of sin to the, the promise of de- a deliverer and then the fulfillment of Christ's birth. Uh, and now in Philippians, we actually see the reflection of the significance of Christ's birth and what it means for us as followers of Christ here in the epistles of uh, Philippians chapter 2. Uh, so we're going to read Philippians chapter 2 together uh, and pray that the Lord would open our eyes to see something afresh of the glory of Christ. Let's prepare our hearts for the reading of God's holy word. So <clears throat> if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Father, we do pray that you would now open our eyes to see something afresh of Christ's glory in his coming, in his living, in his dying, uh, that he might get all the glory, that every knee would bow, every tongue confess in this room that Christ is Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I must start by confessing that I'm a bit of a Grinch. I'm, I'm wary of American Christmas Even innocent traditions like trees and lights and modest gift-giving are not sinful in and of themselves or wrong in any way, but they're still just traditions, man-made cultural practices which have nothing to do with the Bible or biblical Christianity. And I personally don't have a category for calling something a Christian holiday that's not itself prescribed to us by the Scriptures. For example... We celebrate or we observe ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And we do those because Scripture commands us to. But we don't take the liberty upon ourselves to make up other ordinances that we feel like would be honoring to the Lord or just because we enjoy them. We, we observe only those because those are the ones prescribed to us in Scripture. And I'm not saying that you need to feel the same exact way about Christmas that I do, but I am personally a bit wary of Christmas and the prominence that it has in our American culture. And yet, despite that, I still love this time of year because I love thinking about the incarnation. I love singing about the incarnation. And I know that's a big theological word that we don't use in our everyday speech, But it's worth saying because it says more than merely saying that Jesus was born. We don't celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ like we celebrate the birth of George Washington on President's Day. 
It's not merely that an exceptionally great person was born and so we celebrate. It's not as much about the birth of a certain man as it is about the incarnation of God, that God became man. The reality that we celebrate is that in the midst of our darkness, in the midst of our rebellion and our utter lostness, that God came for us. And he came for us by coming to us. And the way that he came to us as most credible, incredible of all is that he came to us by becoming like us. And this is what we just read in Philippians 2, that Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The miracle of Christmas is that the infinite eternal Son of God, who is co-equal with the Father in his power and glory and authority, the one through whom and for whom all things were made, the one that Isaiah saw high and lifted up upon the throne, the one that angels would cry, cover their eyes and their feet before whom and cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, the whole earth is full of his glory. It's this one, It's this one who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. And he freely laid down all the rights, all the privileges, all the status of his deity. The infinite creator took on the nature of a creature. The lawgiver subjected himself to his own law. The almighty Lord became the lowly servant. And in one sense, the particular circumstances surrounding his birth don't really matter, like where he was born or who was his mother. Because the gap between deity and humanity is infinitely greater than the gap between the richest king on earth and the lowliest slave. The difference between the two most different human beings is non-existent compared to the difference between God and man. It would still be an infinite condescension if Christ lowered himself to take the place of Caesar Augustus. But he didn't. He didn't just come as a man, but as a lowly man, born in the middle of nowhere, Bethlehem, to a woman with already a tarnished reputation in a feeding trough because there was no room in the inn for the infinite creator. Behold, your majestic God, born in a feeding trough. It's unbelievable in the true sense. How could these possibly be the circumstances surrounding Almighty God's entrance into his own creation? It's truly unbelievable, and yet I believe it. And in one sense, I believe it precisely because it's so unbelievable. It's so contrary to everything that we would expect of the holy, exalted King of Kings. And yet, it was his good pleasure to become the lowliest servant to the vilest sinners. And this one thing, perhaps out of everything, is the thing that most holds me captive to the person of Christ and his kingdom. 
the idea of lowly majesty and unpresuming prominence and preeminence. There is simply nothing more glorious in all the world, in all the earth, in all the universe than the person of Jesus Christ. And I'm just compelled to worship him in light of his humility, in light of his condescension to come to us. The incarnation alone is enough to warrant 10,000 lifetimes of praise and adoration that God would come to us as one of us. But he didn't stop by simply taking the form of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, Paul goes on, to the point of death, even death on a cross. And you can't miss Paul's emphasis upon the cross. It's not merely that he died, but that he died the most shameful, humiliating death that one could possibly die in the Roman Empire. And you'll notice that if you read through the Gospels, the emphasis is not so much upon the physical pain that Christ endured, but upon the reproach and the humiliation and the scorn that he endured from sinners in their interactions. For example, we read in Matthew 27 that kneeling before him, the soldiers mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. The chapter goes on and says, And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. The soldiers mocked him. The chief priests and the scribes mocked him. Those who were passing by mocked him. Even the criminals being condemned to death mocked him. They had no footing to stand on, but apparently they thought they had enough footing to mock Jesus Christ. And if you know anything about God as revealed in the Old Testament, one thing he does not tolerate is his glory being marginalized. He says in Isaiah, my glory I will not give to another. And now here he is. God come in human flesh. And the crowning moment of his life is that he's subjected to utter humiliation and scorn. And as I read Matthew 27, I say, do something, Jesus. Vindicate yourself. Show your glory. But he doesn't. The Lord of glory willingly embraces all of our shame and our humiliation and ultimately our death, that we might have his life, his honor even, and ultimately share in his glory in heaven. And so Mary and the manger and all the other attendant circumstances of his birth are just pointers to the whole nature of his life, of his ministry, and ultimately even his death. Just as he was born in lowliness and in humility, he would live 
and die a life of lowliness and humility. And so if you're wondering what Christmas is about, it's this, that God came for us. And in a world of other religions that say, there's a gap between you and God. But hey, the good news is that if you obey enough, and if you're good enough, you can bridge that gap. You can make your way to God if you obey enough. But Christianity says, no, the good news is that God says in Christ, I will bridge the gap myself. I will come down to you, and I will come for you. And so if you're not a follower of Christ this morning or this evening, I would say the way, the best way for you to celebrate Christmas is to receive Christ as your Savior. Submit to him as your Lord. Trust him that what he did on the cross is sufficient to cover all the deepest, darkest sins that only you know about that you really can be forgiven of your sins, you really can be made new, you really can have life and a relationship with God as your Father. That's why he came. And if you are a Christian this evening, and you really want to celebrate Christmas, you really want to honor the birth of Christ, then quietly serve someone. No fanfare, no applause, just humble service. In fact, that's the exact context of our passage in Philippians 2. Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus. And so, If you really want to celebrate Christmas, what does that look like? It looks like beholding the glory of Christ revealed in his incarnation, that he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped and held on to, but freely gave it up for us so that he could serve us and consider us and consider our needs even above his own. And then once you reflect upon that, You go and do likewise by serving others and considering their needs above your own, looking out for the interests of others. This is the mind of Christ, and this is the heart of Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled, knowing all that Christ enjoyed in the glory of heaven the fellowship of the Trinity, all power, authority, and glory, dominion, rightly belonging to him, and yet to give up the status, give up the privileges of his deity so that he could become a lowly servant. Lord, would you help us to see the glory of Christ, not only in his coming and that he was born, but of his life and ultimately his death in serving sinners. Lord, we thank you that we can be counted among those and and we can humble ourselves and receive the salvation that is in Christ simply by faith and acknowledging 
the Lordship of Christ, acknowledging that what he has done is sufficient to save us. I pray that that would be true for each and every person in this room. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.